thankful, as Phil said. Uh, just so you know, Eric and Mark, I'm about to take my earpiece out, so if you need me, wave at me. Um, it, it's, I'm thankful for those guys in there. I'm thankful for everybody that pulls this off. This has been a challenge. And I will tell you that my belief system says that where the church is having a challenge, it must be because the church is on the right track. And uh, I believe we are headed in the right direction. And I believe the minor problems we have now are nothing to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in Christ Jesus. And uh, that's biblical. And so I hope that you uh, believe that as well. The book of Acts, chapter 26, the 20... The 24th to the 32nd verse, and it reads like this. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your learning, your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true And rational words. For the king knows. Now just so you know, it's talking about King Agrippa. I'm going to explain the backdrop of this in a moment. But when Festus refers to the king, he's referring to Herod Agrippa II, the king. The king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to each other, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this morning and the message this hour. I pray that you would bless it to the end, that Jesus would be lifted up. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Janice takes a number of walks and hikes with friends of hers around various parks in the community. You can clearly see that your pastor does not do that as much. And lately, she's been wanting me to go on a few hikes with her. And yesterday, I reached the point of agreement that I would go on a hike with her. And so, she wanted to take me to the Jackson Bog. How many of you have ever been to the Jackson Bog and taken a hike? So, we we were going to the Jackson Bog. And at first, we decided that Bo, the Wonder Dog, for those of you that don't know, uh, I have an 18-month-old 70-pound golden doodle. Somebody's honking for Bo. (laughs) Glory. Uh, But Bo was not going to travel with us. 
And I felt bad. You know, this week I've been away from him quite a bit, had to leave him be uh, for most of the week. He had not gotten out. It was a beautiful day, and there was no reason in the world why Bo could not go with us. And so I said, do you mind if I take him? She said, no, of course not. Let's take him. So we went, and when we got there, I realized I didn't know how long this walk would be. And I said, do I need uh, water. She said, you'll probably need it for him. I carry a little bowl and bo- uh, I, I, I looked, you know, I, to, to water him. I looked at Janice. I said, well, are you taking water for you? And she said, no. So that determined for me that I didn't need a bottle of water and the dog didn't need a bottle of water, that we would make this hike okay. Well, it's about a two-mile hike the way she does it. And you walk out, if you've never been there, it's a bog. Now, I never really thought about what a bog is, but my word for a bog is a marsh, okay? It's muddy, it's water, but they have a walkway for the whole time. You just walk on these boards that they've put in, very nicely done, and, and you walk, and, and the water's below you. You don't get dirty. It's a wonderful walk. Halfway through, and I mean literally I've got the Apple Watch on. I'm tracking our steps. Yes, we are halfway through. I took a stop to look at a bird. I took a stop just for a minute to look at a bird. And you don't walk side by side on the bog. You walk with your fearless leader, my wife, in front of you and the dog on the leash behind you. And by the way, he pulled me all the way through that walk as best he could. But at the halfway point, I stopped to look at some birds. And Bo the Wonder Dog interpreted that to mean we need to leave the trail. And Bo the Wonder Dog jumped into the bog. And when Bo the Wonder Dog jumped into the bog, he went up to his ears in mud. I mean, he was halfway up. Uh, when, we, when we finally fished him out, I'm pulling on him, trying to get him, grabbing his, whole, his hair. He was stuck as if in quicksand. And finally, we got him up out of there. And I was then realizing that it had been a better idea to let him spend one more day by himself. He was mud halfway down, and all that hair and everything else was only half of it. He smelled bad. Now, I love the fact that I've told you that story right here because the next piece of this is what you hear in the background. Do you hear the siren? Okay? I was going to mention the sirens to you today. As long as we've been out here uh, doing this worship through the pandemic and now in the circumstance we are currently, there's been very few Sundays where we didn't have a police car, an ambulance, or somebody go by with the sirens blaring. And I have come to the realization that they always chose to do it. I think they're listening on the AM radio and they choose to turn those things on right at the point where I'm going to speak to you about decision, about making a choice, about believing or not believing something. And have you ever noticed in your life that halfway through those things happen? I mean, it seems like with life in general, whether it's a walk in the marsh or a sermon where you've built up the tension to the point that you're going to ask for a decision, that it seems like the enemy steps in and tries to jumble things up. The siren goes off. The person in the congregation's phone rings. Somebody sneezes in a hideous way, and everybody loses their train of thought. It seems to be what happens. Halfway through, Paul's defense for himself before King Agrippa, that happens. Halfway through, Let's stop and understand for a minute where we're at in this sermon. Paul has been brought before Festus. Between Caesarea Caesarea and, and, and Jerusalem, 
Paul has come to a man named Festus. And Festus has listened to the complaints of the Jews who wanted Paul not only arrested, but destroyed. They wanted to kill him. Stop for a minute and get your background. Paul was the one that went out chasing down Christians as a Jew. Paul was the one who couldn't stand the thought of Christianity until something happened, and that something happened on the Damascus Road. You remember the story? Uh, Paul was on his way threatening out slaughter and murder against the Christians, and God gets a hold of Paul and turns his life around, and he now becomes the the writer of 70% of our New Testament, but as well the greatest witness and missionary to the world of that day of proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And the Jews didn't like it. So who is this Festus that has Paul before him? He's known as the procurator of Judea. He's asked by the Jews. He literally was asked by the Jews to take Paul to Jerusalem for his trial. To take him before the Jews. And the reason they wanted Paul to do, or rather Festus to do that, is because they were going to attack them on the way and kill Paul. And Festus says, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. So when they come to Caesarea and they're spilling their guts about how bad Paul is, the problem is these two men gave their witness, but they couldn't prove a charge. And Festus is in a tough spot. Festus doesn't want to lose his position. He doesn't want to lose favor with the Jews by not doing what they want, but he also does not want to lose favor with Caesar Because Paul was not only a former Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. And he doesn't know what to do. And King Agrippa, his direct supervisor, is coming to town. And so Festus, he defers to Agrippa. And here comes King Agrippa. And Agrippa and his sister had longed to hear from Paul. He's a ruler in first century Palestine. He is like his father, a leader. And he comes with a whole different ball of wax approaching this trial of Paul. And the reason I say that is because Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I, would have just done whatever he wanted. He could not stand for much, and particularly didn't really stand uh, for anyone that was going to cause a problem. This Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II, he had a fondness for the Jews. He had a real fondness for them. He learned about them. He wanted to know more about them. And so before these two leaders, here comes Paul to make a defense for charges that could have taken his life. And I'm going to walk you through this one more time and we'll get to the bottom line real quick. Listen to this in the 24th verse. As Paul is explaining these things. What was he explaining? He was explaining how he became a Christian. He's on the Damascus Road. He says, King Agrippa, you know, I'm on the Damascus Road, and the Lord came down, and he turned my life around, and lo and behold, now instead of chasing Jews down, I am witnessing for Jesus. And right in the middle of that, Festus says this, Paul, you're out of your mind. You're learning too much. You're driving yourself mad. He's listening to what Paul says about becoming a Christian. And because he couldn't identify with that experience, he just comes down with the judgment that Paul's got to be wacko. So he tells him so. And Agrippa, if you want to remember what happens earlier in this chapter, Agrippa has come to Paul 
before Paul makes this speech, and he says, Paul, speak. I want to hear your story. And, he, and it says that, that Paul, when he delivered his speech to Agrippa, listen to it because I'm going to read it to you. He says, it's I consider myself fortunate before you, King Agrippa, that I stand. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. You're familiar with the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, please listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem, is known by the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest part of their belief, I was a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial here because of my hope in the promise that was made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they worship day and night to that effect. In this hope, I'm accused by the Jews. Let me tell you what Paul just said. He said, King Agrippa, you know all about our customs. You know all about our religion. You've studied us. You've been friendly to us. And in fact, you've been helpful to us. And you know who I am. I'm a Jew. I was a Pharisee. I did all that I could to destroy the Christians. But listen, all I've done in accepting Jesus is I have just fulfilled what every other Jew is looking for, the Messiah. I have placed my trust in the one that they hope for. And for that, they've determined, like Festus here, that I'm out of my mind. Then he asks Agrippa a question, and he's really saying it for the whole gang of the Jewish faith that's standing around him. Listen to this question. It's in Acts 26, verse 8. He says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Just stop and think about this for a minute. The Jews, particularly the Pharisees, you see, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Paul says, I've just placed my faith in the firstborn of the resurrection, Jesus Christ. Why do you find that a strange thing? He says, I myself was convinced that I should do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. And I did that in Jerusalem. I locked up the saints, many of them in prison. I received authority from the chief uh, uh, priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in the synagogues and I tried to make them blaspheme. But then he says, Jesus got a hold of me. And so when Festus said to to Paul, you're out of your mind, he's saying, Paul, what you've come to believe, you've lost it. And I want you to hear what Paul says in the next verse. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I'm speaking true and rational words. I want you to think about this for a minute. The Pharisees that came accusing Jesus, or rather Paul this day, they were the same people that accused Jesus. It was the same group. Paul, when Jesus had this group come before him, you'll remember in the book of John that he said, I do not have a demon, but I'm honoring my father and you're dishonoring me. Paul is simply saying here to Festus, I'm not out of my mind. I'm actually probably in my best mind. And then he says, for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. This hasn't happened in a corner somewhere. You see, King Agrippa had an interest in the Jews. In fact, you know, when the, when the temple in Jerusalem was attacked, 
King Agrippa is the guy that sent fortifications to try to keep it from falling. You need to know that. He cared about the Jewish people. That's why Paul's saying to him, I'm so glad I get to talk to you. You know our history, you know our beliefs, and you know who I am. So King, understand. Understand, you know about these things. And I'm speaking boldly of them because this hasn't been done in a corner. Let me translate that for you. After Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and then the resurrection took place, Agrippa would have known that all the Jewish people would have gathered in Jerusalem that could for the celebration of Pentecost, a harvest celebration. He would have paid attention to that. And he would have known that on that day that the people from all different lands and all different places of the known world that time had come and gathered together when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And King Agrippa would have paid attention to that. There's something going on here amongst those people. There's something happening. They're speaking in different tongues. They're telling others about the Christ. And I want you to remember that as Paul addresses Agrippa, he's very aware of the fact that Agrippa probably knew the Jewish people better than anybody. And so he says to King Agrippa this question. I want you to hear it. In the middle of his discussion about his accepting of Christ, the Damascus Road experience, and in the middle of saying to him, you know all about us Jews, you know what our hope is in, it's in the Messiah, this Messiah that I have placed my trust in now is who we were looking for, it's who all of them are looking for, and he looks at King Agrippa, and listen to what he says. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe He's brought, listen church, he's brought King Agrippa and all those hearing there to the siren moment. He's brought them to the place where the dog is about to jump in the marsh. He's brought them to the place where things are going to get a little bit confusing because listen, either the enemy doesn't want us to get to that halfway mark, the mark of decision, Or sometimes we don't want to get to that place. You know, it's the issue today, this halfway point. Frankly, church, there's plenty of proof for who Jesus really is. You don't need to have a supernatural experience. You don't have to have a flash of lightning strike you dead and then be resurrected. You really just got to look at the story real close. Because it's not just what's in the scriptures. It's everything about this person called Jesus. You see, sometimes the truth, and, and the truth today is under assault, isn't it? Sometimes the truth of the gospel. We're afraid that if we really place our faith and trust in that truth, it's going to make our lives difficult. I'll tell you a little story, and I don't have permission to tell it, so we may lose the person that puts these chairs out every day, um, every Sunday. If we do, you all have to come out early next week. But anyway, (laughs) Debbie was cutting some grass out here this week, and I wasn't here to see it. She simply sent me an email about it, but she lost the push mower, and the push mower came down the hill, and it landed in the creek, or the creek. Sent me an email and said, I don't know, we may have to get something fixed on this thing because it went down the hill and landed in the creek. And I said, she said, you might have to take it and get it serviced. We might have to do that. And I'm like, Debbie, for crying out loud, you're cutting the grass. Don't, I'll buy you two lawnmowers, you know. <laughs> just, 
Just don't worry about it. But today I told her, you know, we need to drain the oil because if we, if we don't check out what might have gotten into that engine, we might get in trouble. Let me ask you a question. What happens if you don't change the oil in your car forever? That car won't run too long, will it? One day the engine will say, I give up. Church, let me tell you something. There's enough truth concerning Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that nobody has any reason not to believe it. Here's the issue. We don't sometimes because we don't see hell and the aftermath of that decision right before us. Much like the car that will just jump in and go without caution, much like the mower that you could start and just continue to cut after it land, cut the grass after it landed in a creek, if you don't pay attention to where you are in relationship to those things, one day they'll bite you back. And because we don't see what hell looks like, because it's right not in front of our eyes right this moment, somebody said to somebody else when they took a new job, somebody I know said to somebody else, how long you been working here? I just got the job. And this was that person's response, welcome to hell. Tells you what they think about their job, right? Can I tell you something, church? The reality of hell, the reality of hell, we don't see. Your worst day here can't get anywhere near to what it will be to an eternity without Jesus Christ. What causes that hesitancy in the human heart? What causes us to say, I don't want to decide right now? What makes the, the, the mental and the spiritual sirens go off or the dog to jump in the creek to keep us from getting to that place of decision? I've got to tell you something. It's the human heart. It's not the spiritual truth. Because the spiritual truth is truth. And I want you to hear what Agrippa answered to that question. Paul says, Agrippa, I know you believe the prophets. Do you believe? And I think you have to understand, Paul is not asking Agrippa, do you believe my story? He's asking Agrippa, do you believe in the Messiah? I want you to hear Agrippa's answer. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? King James says it this way, almost thou persuadest me, be a Christ, me to be a Christian. Let me tell you what's going on there. The sirens are going off. The dog just jumped into the marsh. Anything but dealing with the tension that is there that requires a decision. Yesterday, my son, Nate, called me, and he said, Dad, what are you doing on Saturday? Now, I guess I should back up and tell you that usually when Nate calls and says, Dad, what are you doing on Saturday? It involves me jumping into a septic tank, climbing up on top of a roof, or crawling underneath through a car, and sweating all day. And so I said, well, Nate, let me check my calendar. Took a few minutes, came back on the phone, and I said, well, it all depends on what you're about to ask me to do, if I'm available or not. It was breakfast, so I'll be okay. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Sometimes we get nervous about making the most important decision of our life. Before Festus became the procurator of this little burg, there was a guy named Felix that sat in that position. 
Felix had had Paul stand before him. And Felix's answer to Paul when presented with the gospel was this. Go away and I'll hear you at a more convenient time. Sirens just went off. Dog just jumped in the marsh. And he put Paul back in prison where Paul sat for two years until Festus got him out. Festus heard the same decision. Sirens went off. Dog jumped in the marsh. I don't want to deal with this. Don't want to be on the wrong side of the Jews. Don't be on the wrong side of the Romans. Uh, emperor. And so he slays it down at Agrippa's seat. And so Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, would you make me have, have me make a decision about Jesus? And I want you to hear what Paul said back. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all that hear me this day would become as I am, except for my chains. You know what he said? I don't care if it takes you a second or a decade. I want you to be a Christian, whatever it takes. You know, it's always been the heart of God's prophets, God's apostles, God's servants, and God's church to have other people come to know Jesus. When Jeremiah addressed the people of his day, I want you to hear what he said because it paints the picture for how much he felt about repentance on the part of his people. He said to them, If you'll not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and remember he was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen, when he wrote to the, the, the people at Rome, he said this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness with me in the Holy Spirit. There goes the marsh. There goes the siren. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Let me translate that out for you. Paul said, I would that I would go to hell if my people would come to know Jesus. Years and years ago, Janice and I served in a little church. A little five-year-old girl got cancer, and I can literally remember praying and saying, Lord, give it to me so she can live her life. Paul's saying that about the people. He had a heartfelt desire that his people and all people would come to know Christ. And so he says to Agrippa, whether it takes you a long time or a short time doesn't matter. I just want you to know the joy of knowing Jesus. And Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, is praying over Jerusalem. It says when he drew near to the city and saw it in the book of Luke, he wept over it. And he said, I would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that will make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. It's always been, been the heart of God's prophets, God's apostles, God's preachers, and God's church to win people to the kingdom. And as Paul stands there before King Agrippa, King Agrippa says, do you really think I'm going to make a decision this quick? Paul, you've presented it well, but if I choose to say yes, all these Jews are going to hate me. And if I choose to say no, I'm going to be alienated from Christ. I can't give you a straight answer, Paul, so my answer is this. 
for your question, I'll ask you a question. Do you really expect me to make a decision today? So the king, King Agrippa, stands up. Felix, Festus stands up. And Bernice, the sister-in-law of the king, stood up and they walked away. And as they walked away, I want you to hear what the king said. When they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Church, I want you to understand something. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul, as a Roman citizen, knew that if he stayed in the hands of the Jews, he'd die for sure. Even if just in transport, he would get attacked on the way and he would die. And so he says to Festus and then to King Agrippa, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, there would have been no greater safety given to anyone than that person who had appealed to Caesar. And so he appealed to Caesar to go. And as King Agrippa looked at Paul, he thought, what a shame. This man could have been set free if he just would not have appealed to Caesar. He doesn't realize what's probably going through Paul's head at that very moment. What a shame. I offered him the gospel and he chose to put it off today. And church, that leads me to my bottom line that I want to share with you right now. I want you to imagine studying for a math test with a spelling dictionary, with a dictionary. It's not going to work. That's what most of us do with the gospel. You know, when I was in college, I, I talked Janice. She was at Westminster College up in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania. She's a pre-med candidate. We're dating. We weren't sure we were getting married, you know. And I, I, I talked her into transferring to Youngstown State for very selfish reasons. I mean, there's nothing worse than being in East Liverpool, Ohio, going to school in Youngstown with your, your, your girlfriend, your sweetest one, in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania. You don't know what's going on. She took the bait. <laughs> She transferred to Youngstown. And what that meant was we drove back and forth to school every day. We did that thing. And one day, guess what? I had the opportunity to sit in a class with my future wife. I'd never done that before. It was a physics class. How many of you took physics? All right. I, I you know, high school science, general science, I probably got a C in. We go into this class. She would study and study and study and study. And God love her, I always got a better grade. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. Because I was doing accounting and business and marketing and economics. There's a parallel there, friends, with this. Spiritual questions cannot be answered with earthly answers. 
Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Spiritual questions cannot be answered with earthly answers. King Agrippa had the gospel presented to him. King Agrippa had the message of the gospel laid in his lap. And his response was, Do you really think that I'm going to make a decision today this quickly? I don't have time for this. I don't have time to consider this. I've got other things to do. There are things more important than this. Church, let me tell you something. You can't answer spiritual questions with earthly answers, and that's what King Agrippa tried to do. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and what does he say? Good master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your parents. And he says to Jesus, I've done all this from my youth up. And it's important to hear what Luke says about that. Luke says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the scriptures say, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, what the rich young ruler tried to do was he tried to answer spiritual questions with earthly answers. He tried to say, well, but I need to worry about my retirement and I've got a mortgage and I've got to go to work tomorrow to feed my kids. And Jesus says, hey, your father knows every need that you have. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But you, you make a decision that's worthy of the question that's asked. One day, in the Gospel of Luke, as well as in the other Gospels, but the one, the story I'm about to tell you was in Luke. Jesus himself comes before Pilate. You know that story. And as he stands there before Pilate that day, listen close, church. Pilate asked Jesus a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, do you come up with this question on your own, or did others give it to you? And Pilate says, do I look like a Jew? Your own people, your nation, your priests have given you to me. What have you done? And Jesus says, I don't have a kingdom here. If my kingdom were here, my servants would have been fighting for me. That I wouldn't be handed over to you. But my kingdom's not here. It's not from this world. And Pilate says, so you say I am a king? You say that you're a king? And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. But I was born for purpose, this purpose. And I've come into the world Listen to what Jesus says his purpose was, to bear witness to the truth. I want you to hear Pilate's answer. What is truth? Church, Pilate tried to answer a spiritual question with earthly answers. You see, the siren that distracts us, the dog that jumps in the marsh, they're distractions. And when the questions get real tough, King Agrippa, do you believe? We throw our own siren. We throw the switch ourselves because we don't want to answer the key question, the important question that God has for us. Can you trust me? Can you really, truly, deep down inside, I know you go to church, I know you're a good person, I know you tithe, I know you help out wherever you serve, but listen, I want to ask the deeper question. 
Can you trust me? Woo, 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 woo. Oops, there goes the, jo- the, the dog off the side of the walk. Anything but answer the question. Paul, do you really expect me to make a decision today? Paul's answer should have been no. God does. God does. Amen.